Moncrief on News Talk. As we always do, first thing of a Monday, we have someone in to talk uh, about some stories that caught their eye over the weekend today. It's Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer and Current Affairs Columnist with the Irish uh, Daily Star. Afternoon, Kieran. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, now, your, your first choice is, and I suppose it's, this has been going on for ages now, since Holly Kern said, oh, my generation aren't as well off as our parents' generation. Still, people are uh, reacting to this. It just strikes me it's. It seems to have had the effect opposite of what you wanted in the sense that there's an awful lot of, you know, think pieces now uh, analysing whether that's actually true or not. Whereas yeah. perhaps she was really talking more about the housing crisis. Yeah, I, I would I would think so. And, you know, if you read the the initial uh, the comment, there was a comment piece in the Irish Times um uh, by Finn McRedmond, was it? It was, yeah. yeah. Well, Finn McRedmond, yeah. yeah. And she went into, like, there's a lot of things people have now that if you go back into previous generations in terms of entertainment, um, you, you know, social media, the amount of t- TV channels, streaming service, etc. You know, and you can say they all add to wealth. And I was a bit curious, you know, what is the official metric of poverty? And the mm. SRI have official guidelines that the government have accepted. And a number of them are like two pairs of strong shoes, uh, a warm waterproof overcoat. Uh, you buy new, not secondhand clothes. You eat meals with meat, chicken, fish or vegetarian equivalent every second day. Uh, you don't have to go. Uh, uh, you haven't had to go out w- without heating during the last year through lack of money. And I've said it's quite a lot of people that didn't put off the heat, yeah, uh, yeah. On the heat at different times the last year. But it struck me because we'd be roughly in the same age bracket. I'm 56. Mm. You're a couple of years older, I think, uh, Sean. And I remember for years, I would only ever have one pair of shoes. Like, you basically <laughs> wore the shoes out. And I'm not saying we were so poor, like a yeah. Monty Python, three Yorkshire man, sketchers on the uh, competitive poverty uh, thing. But you, that was the way. You bought your overcoat from Eager Beaver Secondhand Shop and you had one pair of shoes, wear them out and get another pair of shoes. Now I have an embarrassing amount of shoes that I never wear. But, <laughs> but you know, it is a big thing. And uh, now the property thing is, like, it is hopeless if you're... Like I saw a job advertised over the weekend and it's in uh, public relations and a respected company in Dublin and with five years experience and a master's qualification, the salary was just over 30,000. Yeah. And you know, yeah. think, how can you live like that in Dublin? You can't unless you're living at home or prepared to share a bunk bed with six other people in a room. Yeah. You can't do it. And, you know, there's a famous uh, definition in David Copperfield, uh, Charles Dickinson, about, about poverty, annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 19, 19 and 6 result happiness, <laughs> annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 20 pounds, ought and 6 result misery. Yes. Uh, and also as well, I imagine the metric of what actually is, what defines poverty has changed from when we were young to what it is now and presumably it's got better and that's the way it should be you yeah. know but, but it's just that, that that this comparison then kind of somehow diminishes that you know the struggle if you're a young person and you're trying to find a place to live you you know you're, you're kind of enslaved by the gig economy people are paying crap wages as you just gave a, a, an example of there now relatively speaking they're better off they have iPhones and streaming services and or we live in a world that's a lot more enlightened. That yeah. doesn't mean it's not hard, though, the stuff that they have no, to do. And, and, you know, and it's so easy to sentimentalise the past. Like, I remember, you know, you left college in the 80s. The expectation was you would go on the dole for a while and then probably take a boat or a plane to London or, sure. or New yeah. York if you had the money to go to New York. And, uh, you know, there was that, ex- that expectation. Like, 
So some people now you say what are butter vouchers they wouldn't have a clue but butter <laughs> vouchers were a different kind of currency like it was yeah. part of the EU butter mountain and if you were on the dole you were given vouchers and sometimes you could exchange them for things other than butter but people relied on that and like I stayed in so many bedsits in the 80s that were incredibly grim and actually I was thinking about this this morning People mightn't remember how radical a paper the Sunday World was. Like, it used to expose a lot of the housing conditions. Yeah, and, and part yeah. of that was that news editor was Eamon McCann, like, who's a radical oh. socialist. And people mightn't have realised that he was a news editor for years. And But there were there's problems in every generation, what I'm saying. But you should not play down the, the problems of this generation because even back then, it was hard to break into journalism. But if you got into it, you got a job. You probably had the job for life. Absolutely. Now, you're now you would If you no. think you're looking five years, you're being ambitious, thinking, you know, you still have a job in any job in the media in five years' time because mm. there's complete insecurity across the board. Yeah, and and that's a, actually and that's an interesting. By now, you know, might be self-serving of us to use journalism as an example of this. But you're right. When I was going to college, people expected to get a job in a newspaper or RTE or whatever, and that's their career. Now that, like, and it doesn't have to be journalism, it can be anything. They're not going to have a career. They're going to probably cycle through three or four different careers just because they have to, rather than they don't feel like doing brain surgery anymore and they're going to come off and sell cars or whatever. Yeah, and it is like, you, you mentioned the gig economy and like even people in full-time jobs, we're all dabbling in different things. Yes. Because you never know when the plug will be pulled and I might need you to give me a call at a multi-month. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you know that conversation we were having, now it's time to kind of serve it up, uh, really. Uh, right, so you're, you're, and I suppose this is kind of weirdly related that um, succession is back tonight, or I suppose it's back now. If you if you're at home, you're able to uh, to watch it. It's an odd thing that s- such horrid people can uh, can entrance us so much. Mm. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to think of a comparison. Is there another show with so many unlikable characters? Because even I was thinking Sopranos, even though they're all murderers, a lot of them were really likeable. They were really likeable, <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of thinking maybe of Dallas, but even like, yeah. you know, the, Patrick Duffy's character was kind of the nice one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you probably a few, you know, the one or two in Dallas are right. Uh, but uh, one of the things, like there's so many things to this, but one of the things that I love about Succession as well is the thing that's coming out about the kind of tensions behind the scenes and say Jeremy Strong who plays um, Kendall Roy and his approach to it which is very much method and immersive oh yeah that piece character. in there he really did not like that piece no, in the Brian New Yorker Co- yeah, Brian Cox you know the New Yorker piece of course yeah. and Brian Cox then is, uh, is Logan Roy uh, no, the patriarch of the Roy, fa- Roy family, apparently based in Rupert Murdoch. And he doesn't have much time for uh, Strong Devoted at all. He's called it effing annoying American SH. <laughs> have you tried <laughs> acting, <laughs> darling? That yeah. whole thing. Sorry, no, we're too, we're too similar in age now, Kieran. Yeah, that's yeah, what's but, going uh, on. But here. anybody doesn't know that story, I love that story. It's Marathon Man, which mm. is a great 70s film. It's one of the reasons a lot of people of a certain age have a fear of dentistry because yes. it's a, a torture. And Nazi war criminal who tortures Dustin Hoffman uh, by the means of dentistry, who's played by Laurence Olivier, but famously Hoffman off off uh, off camera and in between takes was still shuffling around and muttering to himself. And Laurence Olivier eventually said to him, "You know what are you doing?" He said, "Why stay in character?" And he said, "Why don't you try acting, my dear boy?" <laughs> and I just think that is a bright cock. Like that is the the difference there between the two approaches, and that maybe that adds to the little tension you get between the characters Quite on, possibly. on camera as well, yeah, because uh, it has. There's been footage of, of uh, Brian Cox doing a bit of yelling and shouting, acting kind of Logan Royish, uh, yeah. really. Which is, but, we, do, but you, do you like it? Uh, oh no, no, it's, it's it, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, but I, th- I think it's kind of, 
It's likeable because it's... No, I mean, there are people who live like this, I'm sure, who are that vile, I'm sure. But, but it's kind of got a car crash quality to it rather than you're rooting for anybody. There. Yeah, and it's one of the most, like, probably the most quotable... Um, drama on screen I've ever seen is with, yeah. with Neil and I. But outside of with Neil and I, I think Succession is up there. Like, there's so many lines, like uh, Cousin Greg's lines, like, is there a way of suing your grandfather and showing him that you still love yeah, him? Yeah. <laughs> and then deciding to sue Greenpeace. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yes. Uh, uh, just a bit of breaking news. Hamza Yousaf is now, has just been elected the new SNP leader, which I suppose isn't a... Uh, he was pretty much the front runner all, all the way through this. He, uh, the end, the, 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 that's the second preference votes I'm looking at there. I'll, I'll tell you what the first preference votes are in, in a minute to see how large uh, the gap was. But about three, he got about twenty six thousand second preference votes. Uh, Forbes uh, got twenty three thousand. And uh, having said all that, oh, give uh, now that uh, the leadership of the SNP has changed the support for. An independent Scotland seems to have plummeted uh, uh, somewhat. Uh, so, uh, and myself and Kieran are just wallowing in the past today uh, because his third his third story is uh, the Kerry baby story, which of course has exploded all over the media uh, in the last few days since uh, the, those two people were taken in for questioning. Uh, and I suppose it's it's kind of maybe a reflection of of the media to an extent in that an awful lot of people who report on this remember it the first time when it happened. And so it still has that massive resonance in their mind, whereas there's probably a generation of Irish people who go the what? Absolutely. And uh, I was I was actually I was thinking that on the way in. How do you explain the story to them? Yeah, like it's so complex. Like there was there was one of the best pieces of journalism ever in this country was by Jean Kerrigan and McGill Magazine, mm. a special investigation into it. And I think it was 38 pages long. Like, well, you know, no media outlet would give you that kind of space these days. But but that story needed that kind of space because it covered so many strands uh, in, you know, the way Joanne Hayes was was treated, the way the Gardaí operated, the way the state colluded with the Gardaí. And, you know, just the grip and fear that was there of, uh, you know, unwed pregnancy, mm. you know, how stigmatised mm. it was. And this was coming shortly after Anne Lovett and the, her tragic death after giving birth in, in a, a, a grotto in Longford. She was 14, wasn't she, Anne Lovett? Yeah, yeah Anne Lovett. You know, it was an awful story. And there was a generation, and I think even looking at female politicians in the doll, like, like I remember I was in college with Ivana Bacic, and like we wouldn't really know each other well, like no to nod to each other, but... But she she can she was very close to being sent to prison because of uh, uh, giving out inform uh, 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 telephone numbers for abortion services in the UK while she yeah. was a president of student union. And a lot of people were radicalised, and a lot of people became very brave in the way they stood up to the way Ireland was. And it's uh, you, t- you tie in the various referendums at that time as well. And I think it's a decade that has to be really examined deeply uh, because it changed Ireland. You know, I think a lot of things that happened the last decade have their roots in what was exposed in the 80s. Mm. At, this, uh, at the same time, and this is not to minimise it at all, but the fact that it was reported on so much at the time, the fact that it was a scandal at the time, because you'd be tempted to think if this had happened in the 60s or 70s, you know, it would have been buried. It wouldn't have been commented on. And it probably did happen in the 60s yeah. and 70s and yeah. 50s. Like you go through, you know, from your, from your own county, the dramas that say Tom Murphy or John B. Keane uh, uh, in Kerry. Um, you know, there's a darkness to a lot of the plays. Oh, yeah. You know, there's very dark stuff that did go on and that's hinted at and alluded at and is made explicit in a lot of the plays. Yeah, it's... Uh, um 
See, because I've heard people say, is it, uh, you know, it, what's the purpose now in reporting on it so extensively at this stage? Rather than, you know, is it, uh, no, I, obviously they still don't know who, you know, who was responsible for the death of that baby. So justice has to be done, etc. Yeah, to be I done. think that's a difficult one. Like, I think the media have a responsibility to report on it. But at the same time, you would have huge sympathy for, say, for the Hayes family. You know, yeah, Joanne Hayes. Yeah. But, like, Joanne Hayes has still lived in Abbey Dorney all her life. You know, this is 40 years on. And that she was, uh, like, what was, uh, you, you wouldn't even want to repeat what was said about her in the tribunals and stuff. But, like, it was absolute, it was, it was well, absolute that disgrace. Was, yeah, and I suppose that's, it is worth mentioning that the, the tribunal, once it had been found that the Hayes family weren't, weren't guilty of anything. Yeah. They put her on trial again. Yeah, it was effectively a trial of Joanne Hayes, masked yeah. as a tribunal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, to the extent that the poor woman was like, because I I there was a lot of reporting at the time, particularly Nell McCaffrey wrote a book about it, but the battering the woman got and the psychological effect it was having upon her was there for all to see in real time. Yeah. When everybody watched it, it was astonishing. No, it's yeah. a time you'd never want to re- revisit, though. Yeah. There's probably still a good book in it or a good documentary, but like it, it, it was such a bleak, dark time. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, we'll look abroad now. And uh, this <laughs> I know I shouldn't be laughing, but it is kind of funny. This is a culture war story from Florida where um, Michelangelo's David uh, and it's pornography now, apparently. Yeah, uh, uh, many years ago I went to Florence, so I've been, I was lucky enough to see uh, David's Mickey in the flesh. Good one, yeah. uh, so yeah. to speak. And uh, it's a fine thing, and you know I don't know what the what the issue is in Florida, but <laughs> no, it's this isn't about Michelangelo's David. Like we all know that. Like deep down, it's about there has been nothing more tedious than these culture wars that have been manufactured very deliberately over the last few years. And, and the Florida is the basis for a lot of them, like a lot of these oh, yeah. uh, fruitcakes come out of Florida. And uh, his name escapes me now, but there was uh, he's a New York Times journalist, but he, he, he released a book a couple of months ago that I read that's fascinating. It's a history of the pub- Republican Party told through the moral panics that they've created over the last 150 years and that they created very deliberately to, to garner support. And a lot of the stuff that they've started and uh, got people wound up about have come into UK politics and even Irish politics. Mm. And you see even thing uh, like you're thinking about every day now I see stories about trans people say and I see it all, I see them all over social media. And 25 years ago, a trans character was uh, introduced on Coronation Street and nobody really, I don't remember a huge fuss about it. Like people mm. do. And like, that's the most mainstream programme in British television, Corey. Yeah. And Hayley Cropper came in, people thought she'd very likeable. And I think now if you introduced a trans character, there would be uproar. Yeah. They'd be saying, this, yeah. is, this is woke gone mad. And it's all manufactured. Like, and, and so, but in that book, the, 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 it, it uh, goes into like the Tea Party and some of the fringe groups. And they deliberately targeted trans groups about 10 years ago. And that's all built from there. And this is the same with the David thing. And now that, you know, there's an uproar over schools and, and what can be taught in schools, uh, what books can be taught in schools, what images can be shown. And it's all tied together. And, you know, the Burke family would probably be millionaires if they were in the, if they were in the US. <laughs> they'd be given their own cable show or they'd be in the Senate. Or and just to let people know, like the, the, a school principal had to resign because kids in school, I don't know what age these kids go, were shown a, a replica, a replica, or not a replica, but a photograph of Michelangelo's David. But apparently they hadn't sent out the forms warning that the, their parents that uh, 
uh, that their, their kiddies might be exposed to such uh, horrendous stuff. Uh, now, the, the the protest... Now, the, this, this is an interesting one, the protest in France. Is it a French thing, in a way, that, like, the, the, you know, the world has changed economically and it's battered a lot of us, but the French are going, nope, we're going to live the way we've always lived. We'll retire when we're 23. No, we'll retire when we're 62. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're not moving off that, even if the sums don't add up. Yeah. I didn't realise I could retire at 62 to last yeah. week. I have to be honest, I was, I was astonished at it. And I did Google your age before I came in. So you, you, <laughs> okay, you, perilously close. You, you yeah. have a year left, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it just baffled uh, I'd like to do something else down the line, like a lot of us would. You like yeah, to try different yeah. things, but I don't want to retire. Like, why? Wh- what is the urgency with retiring? Like... And I know, I know there's been research into before, uh, this before that a lot of people retire and don't really do anything much other than maybe potter about in the garden or go for coffee. You know, they tend to die quite quickly. Whereas people who stay busy and active um, well, live, live longer. longer. You know, in 62, you know, when now uh, it seems like you can't uh, run for president of America unless you're 80. So I don't know why she'd retire. Uh, uh, you know, the Pope is what it, Pope must be close to 90, is he? Mid 80s? And, well, I, I saw John Stewart refer to actually the US Congress as an assisted living facility. <laughs> <laughs> David Attenborough's a new series out in 95. So like 62 seems so. See, see, so no, but, the, but there seems to, but there is a cultural thing, I think, yeah. in France where people. People are, are not so taken over by, you know, that they, they work, yeah. they, you know, they, they, they live, they don't, you know, work to live, you know, that, that, yeah, that, but you that can seems quite yeah, distinct. But yeah, and there is a lot to be said that, you know, for having a healthier relationship between work and uh, time off, like, yeah. you know, there's a movement to, to go towards uh, four day weeks, which is a lot of opposition to, but there's actually a lot of merit to when you dig into, oh, yeah, I'd you love know, that. people are actually a lot more productive often when they know they have more time off. So, yeah, you know, like, because uh, that's that's been shown with working from home because people feel they have to show that it can work, mm. you know, that it's it's something they're not dossing at home. So, they're actually more productive than they often are in offices. So, yeah. But in France, they do like protesting about things. They do. So maybe yeah. it's just that. It's just yeah. a cultural thing. They Possibly. enjoy giving out about stuff. Uh, the the U two are the, well the, the the Bono's book and the you know the new uh, the new album of uh, reworked versions of their songs. Are, are you excited about that, Karen? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm excited, and I have to say I checked this as well. Bono sixty two. So right. He okay. So he can, if he was French, he, he would have afford to, to. But uh, the best thing the Beatles ever did, Sean was falling out with each other and breaking up mm. because they were effectively only had an eight year, seven, eight year recording career. Yeah. Like if you two had split up uh, famously in the, in I think it was New Year's Eve 1989, the, play, the U2 played in the Point Theatre as it was then or Point Depot and Bono said we're going off to dream it all up again because they'd done Rattling Home and it didn't go down particularly well. They'd done the whole America thing. They went off to Berlin and they did what you do in Berlin yeah. without getting into a uh, uh, what I shouldn't get into, but yeah, uh, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they did what you do uh, as in record an album. <laughs> they yeah, came out with that's... a great record called Acted Baby, and they dreamed it all up again. They reinvented themselves. If they'd quit then, and they'd effectively had a t- fifteen-year career, a ten-year rec- or twelve-year recording career, they would be regarded as possibly on a par with the Beatles. Yes, you know, what, right. But so you say if they quit after zero, yeah, bar, so it's like um, a lot yeah. of. Uh, I, I'm not sure of old age suits rock bands. Mm. You know, there's, they're very like I saw the Rolling Stones a few years ago in Crow Park and I enjoyed it, but there wasn't one song from after say 1972 
there was any good. Well, have they so recorded no. any music? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, there are dozens of albums. Do there, they? Oh, yeah, crikey, I didn't know that. So, uh, I, I enjoyed some of the reworked material, but and but at the end, just talked about up as something that nobody's done before. But it's actually something a lot of bands have done before, returning to the material. And it's often when you run out of ideas. And it's... It's a, like it's it's more a Bono and the Edge project, like Adam Clayton. Mm, yeah, they, he, he sent them a few bass lines. Uh, they used old Larry Mullen has a, a back problem. He's not recording the moment. He, they used some old tracks, uh, drum tracks of Larry's from the past, and it, it's passable. But it's funny. It's kind of you feel they're kind of winding up, especially when they're doing a Vegas residency. That's kind of yeah. a sign that they are. I think. Yeah, and they will be remembered. It's like. They are fantastic. Like I, this I mean, album is now number I, one in the UK. So yeah. I mean, and that's not as meaningful as it was. But no, it's, it's still not. Shows but that does a... still bring in uh, streaming figures as well. So a lot of people are listen to it. You know, they're still huge. They announce three dates in Crow Park tomorrow. They'll sell them out. Of course. And yeah. you know, like we've all probably at different stages slagged off Bono, but I think the world's probably overall been a better place because of of Bono because of you two, and they've given a lot of people a lot of joy. And I think overall they've done it. They've done uh, a lot of good for us. Yeah, but they should have broken up in the early 90s. Yeah, is, is your contention, right? Four <laughs> <laughs> years too late. Kieran, thanks a million for coming into us. Uh, that was Kieran Cunningham there uh, from the Irish Daily Star. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.